Dale Denwalt. And I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. The adoption of billion-dollar mega-legislation to lure a Fortune 500 company to Oklahoma with tax incentives has state officials excited about Oklahoma's chance to land its biggest corporate investment in years. That company is believed to be Panasonic, who is reportedly looking for a place to build a 4 billion electric vehicle battery production plant near where Tesla is manufacturing its Cybertruck line in Texas. Oklahoman reporter Steve Lackmeyer recently filed a story about Oklahoma's mixed history with large tax incentives. He joins us on the podcast today. Steve, even though state officials are keeping a lot of the details secret with this Project Ocean, is what they're calling it, tell us what we know about the incentive and what it could be used for. Well, as you note, it is widely believed to be Panasonic. Panasonic has not made it a secret that they are looking at uh, building a battery plant. Uh, There have been multiple reports that's Panasonic. Uh, We know that Kansas put together an incentive package totaling $1.2 billion. Once upon a time, incentives deals, billion dollars or more, were pretty rare. But now we're in an era where that's becoming more and more common. So what are we looking at? Well, we know that the governor yesterday signed legislation that went from zero to 60 real quick, and he signed that yesterday. It is a uh, Economic Activity and Development Act fund uh, that would qualify the company, believed to be Panasonic, for an annual rebate of 3.4% on qualified capital expenditures for up to five years. In total, the way it's envisioned, the rebates cannot exceed $698 million. So that's where we get that figure. But wait, as always, there's more. So we know that Mays County is going to have a vote, at least they're set to have a vote uh, at the county commission meeting on whether to create a tax increment finance district on the uh, Mid-America Industrial Park where this will be located. Mid-America Industrial Park there in Pryor has become quite the center of high-tech operations. They've got Google, they've got other high-tech firms, and so this would be a natural location for that sort of activity. We also know that another highly incentivized deal, uh, Canoe Vehicles, is uh, set to start up out there. Believe it or not, there's a lot we don't know about the incentives thrown at Canoe either. And that one is already a done deal and is happening. But they're an electric vehicle manufacturer, and so the idea is that Panasonic would be right next door to produce batteries for that operation. And by the way, that company is yet to produce any vehicles. It would be a brand new startup, but also would supply batteries for the Tesla plant that... Elon Musk is uh, starting up there in Dallas. So we know that we have those two things. There's also the uh, Job Incentives Act. We don't know how much will be coming from that. There's other incentives that the state has in its usual appropriated dollars that they can throw at this as well. So when you hear a billion dollars, we don't have that figure yet. 
but it's easy to see how that's coming. So whenever governments dangle this kind of carrot in front of private businesses in the form of tax incentives, there's always a worry that the company will take the money and cut and run before the state can fully realize the benefits. So during a press conference, Governor Kevin Stitt downplayed those fears. Companies don't don't drop uh, billions and billions of dollars on the most advanced manufacturing facility in the country and then pick up and move shop in five years or 10 years. So uh, these companies will pay taxes. Uh, they will uh, have employees that pay taxes. There will be vendors that pay taxes. There will be property taxes. There will be homes with, with uh, employees that live there that pay taxes, uh, the local taxes the sales taxes, all of that stuff, the Commerce Department does a really good job of rolling those in and showing what that looks like. So everything has got to be beneficial for the taxpayer. But as you put it, Steve, history tells a different story. Tell us about the bidding war three decades ago for a United Airlines plant. That was the failure that put Oklahoma City on the course of growth we've been on ever since. It was the best failure we ever could have hoped for. Some failures are good, and this was one of them. Oklahoma City was just getting out of the 1980s oil bust. We're still hurting. And on multiple times, then-Mayor Ron Nork put forth to voters uh, questions to approve sales taxes, limited sales tax uh, packages to woo companies to Oklahoma City. And each time, city voters actually approved them. And when it came to United, this was going to be the biggest plum we could have ever imagined. Uh, up to 7,500 jobs, a huge sprawling uh, airline maintenance uh, plant, and it could be all ours if we just came up with the right incentives package. And by many accounts, we had the best incentives package. But Oklahoma City didn't have much going for it at that point. Remember, this is pre-maps. There is no riverfront. There is, Bricktown is just a few restaurants. There is no plaza district. There is no classing curve. There's only one hotel remained, remaining open downtown. It's not a city that is thriving at this point. And when we were passed over, then Mayor Ron Nork started walking around Indianapolis and saw all they had and realized we had no quality of life. We had no room. There was nothing that made us attractive for a uh, expansion for a company where they thought that they could attract uh, the best of talent. So they started MAPS in response to that, largely. Uh, and we started off with the uh, Bricktown Canal. We started off the ballpark, the arena that eventually became home to the uh, Thunder. We uh, redid a Civic Center Music Hall, the fairgrounds. Uh, we built a new downtown library. I am probably missing something, but it just, it was an amazing transformation that then continued with Maps for Kids, where we rebuilt all of our schools. Uh, we then followed up with Maps 3, where we expanded to include sidewalks and biking paths. Uh, senior wellness centers, a new convention center, just everything we've seen, the Scissor Tail Park, and now we've got Maps 4, where there's a lot more uh, social challenges being addressed, like 
mental health, addiction, homelessness, uh, creating more youth after-school programs and opportunities, park improvements, new animal shelter, and so forth. So, meanwhile, Indianapolis, which won the jobs and won the plant, well, it got built, a big chunk of it did, and it started opening up in 1992-1993, and a decade later, it all shut down. So, why was this a bad deal? that we put so much time and effort into winning. Well, if you look back at that time period, the airline industry wasn't in that great a shape. It's actually been pretty volatile since deregulation in the late 70s and early 80s. At this point, you have the discount carriers really starting to gain momentum, uh, carriers like Southwest and so forth. And meanwhile, we had some other carriers, legendary carriers like Pan Am, TWA, and Eastern that were starting to go under. And the strain on the legacy airlines was great. And I was doing some research. It turned out that United Airlines, even as we were competing for this factory, they had had pretty big losses in the previous two quarters that year. So that wasn't a great deal. And it's interesting. I've been talking to experts and they're saying that what we did with MAPS to invest in our quality of life was, it's something they recommend for any city that's competing for jobs. You've got to look at your own community first and see if you're going to be attractive enough. Because the incentives aren't the only consideration. Speaking of local communities, in your story you brought up Foxconn. It was a Taiwan electronics manufacturer, and they agreed to build a $10 billion factory in Wisconsin. This was about five years ago. Now, that deal called for the creation of 13,000 jobs in exchange for $4 billion worth of incentives, including many, many incentives and actions taken uh, by that local community where they were going to be putting their, their plant in. Give us a little bit of description of what happened there. Well, here's another one where if you take the rose-colored glasses off and you just take a realistic look at the whole situation. First of all, one of the patterns we've seen is the more politicized a deal is, the more risk that is involved. Because sometimes you have, whether it's a governor, or in this case you have both uh, Scott Walker, who's governor, and you had uh, Donald Trump, who is president, and they made a big show out of getting this deal. There's one catch, though. Uh, this plant was to do uh, flat screen LEDs and all that, but all the sourcing was in Asia. I mean, there's no network of suppliers for this kind of production. There's no infrastructure. You were making a big jump to getting into production when you don't have the suppliers of the materials. And... That brings us back to the batteries. That is something that's important. We need the batteries to start making these vehicles. So they are thinking about that with this deal. But with Foxconn, it was nonsense. If you look back, there is no way to envision how they would make that big a jump with just this plant. And so they ended up with just 1,500 jobs instead of 13,000 jobs. The good news is uh, Wisconsin taxpayers weren't left without, you know, short of money. They had uh, some uh, performance measures there, but the local municipalities, they were out millions. And um, it's not that big a town. It was like 20,000 people living there. And that's a 
big, big burden to take when you've got millions of dollars invested in project where it's not going to pay off. Steve, uh, an expert you spoke with said we shouldn't only focus on the benefits promised by politicians and corporate leaders. He said it's important to analyze the broader picture. So what are the outcomes we should be worrying about? Well, the very first, okay, so we're saying 4,000 jobs and we're talking about prior. It's not, you know, the smallest of towns, but it's not a major metro. 4,000 jobs, that's a lot of people. So you've got to look at schools. You've got to look at police and fire safety. You've got to look at water infrastructure. You've got to look at sewage. You've got to look at electric demand. You've got to look at your road system. All of these things are expenses that will be incurred with having that big of a jump. Let's say all of them decide to live in Tulsa. You've still got a big, big demand on uh, services and prior when it comes to streets and infrastructure. Sure, there'll be a lot of businesses that will rise up. You'll see restaurants, you'll see shopping, you'll see a lot of benefits that come with that too. But the strain on city infrastructure in a town that is not one of the major metros can be uh, concerning. And I'm not saying that Pryor can't pull this off. They've been doing a good job uh, keeping up with things so far. They've built a couple of new schools. I looked up that looked at that, and they've they've been making improvements as they've seen money come in from Google and others that have already located there at the uh, Mid America Park. That having been said, they're looking at a tax increment financing district there at the park. So. I know I'm throwing a lot of different uh, complex financing scenarios at everybody, but here's the thing that's important to consider with tax increment financing. Let's say that you've got a house that you buy, and it's $150,000 when you buy it. And that house then grows in value to $300,000. Well, under a tax increment financing district, that growth of 150000 after you buy it, instead of that value being taxed with that valorum going to schools, libraries, city, county, health, the county, it could possibly all go to this TIF districts. TIF districts can do different percentages, but a lot of them are 100%. And in that case... Schools, libraries, and all that, they don't get a dime unless it's included in the tax increment agreement uh, that has to get approved. But again, you know, if you do tax increment financing in this sort of deal, you've got to be very, very careful that it's not going to rob the community of the means to keep up with that growth. And from what I've been looking at, it looks like one of those three county commissioners is opposing this deal. So it might get pretty interesting. I don't think that the TIF deal is a make-or-break uh, situation for the deal, but it'll be interesting to see how that all winds up. Now, I want to uh, jump back. I'm going to stay on Panasonic for a second, but I want to jump back to sort of the overall benefits, you know, what might come to the state, what might come to state industry. Uh, is there anything promising in this deal and the effects of it that gives state leadership a reason to be optimistic? Oh, if I were them, I'd be very optimistic. I don't want um, 
my reporting or the discussion we're having now lead anyone to think that this is a deal that, you know, could destroy us. It could go very well for us. Consider that when we had General Motors plant here in Oklahoma City, it wasn't just General Motors. We had a uh, Delco Electronics supplier. We had several suppliers that uh, employed people as well that tied into that plant. Obviously, that all went away when the plant shut down. So if we look at Panasonic doing a battery uh, plant there and prior, and if Canoe is able to get off the ground and become a real competitor on manufacturing these EV vehicles, then we'll see other suppliers pop up in that area as well. I mean, you can expect that. Uh, I am aware that, you know, we're looking at the Canoe vehicles uh, and Tesla being clients of this plant. Uh, so it wouldn't be Canoe that would be the only reason for the plant to uh, locate and open. If it were only Canoe, that'd be pretty risky. But again, it's said that they've got uh, Tesla as one of their uh, uh, customers, and that would be a big deal. Uh, I've also, you know, we're probably looking at the state doing some sort of deal with uh, Canoe to supply vehicles to the state. Uh, so that would also create demand for the batteries. And it's not, it's not a deal that doesn't make sense. It, it, it makes a lot of sense, but this is a lot of money that we're throwing. I can't think of any deal that comes to this much money being thrown to a company to locate in our state. Yes, we've seen billion dollar deals going on elsewhere in the country over the last couple of years. They used to be pretty rare, uh, but they're getting more common and that's because there's not a lot of industry that's expanding. And so when you see something like this and it's on the ground floor, yep, you want to get in on that. And unfortunately, unless the law changes, incentives are part of that game. Well, we're going to end it right there, Steve. Thanks so much for going through this issue with us and, and really taking you know a, a really deep dive into the history of incentives, whether good, whether bad, here in Oklahoma. There's a lot to learn and a lot to keep an eye out for, I think, uh, as this deal progresses. To our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us again this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read Steve's story and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back with us next Friday for a new episode.